good to us. Lord, we want to lift you up. We look to you. We lift our eyes up, Lord. Today, my prayer for this meeting, this gathering, for the people here is that uh, through your word and hopefully through, through the words that I speak, that we would be drawn to fix our eyes on you and then you would turn your face to us. You would shine your face upon us, God. That your blessings would, you would look down upon us, Lord. As we lift our eyes to you, we would see our help. You are our help. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So we look to you for help. Lord, we're talking about parenting. We're talking about families. And um, like all things that, exist in this earth that can bring us the most joy it can also cause us uh, we're vulnerable and, and can cause us pain and so we ask you to uh, strengthen our hearts to encourage us to give us hope Lord I know there's people here today that have pain from a strange family situations maybe their uh, the relationship with their parents is severed or a relationship with a child is severed relationship with a spouse is severed. And as, as uh, we experience the, the tremendous pain that these things uh, can cause, would you give us hope that these can be reconciled and returned to a right state and, and again be a source of joy? But we turn our eyes to you, God. We turn our eyes to you. We ask you to, to change us and to change our situation. We surrender and submit ourselves to you and to the leading of your word. And we want to come humbly to you to adjust our lives. It's called repentance, to change, to experience metanoia, the change that comes from repentance, that you would begin to to restore and to bring shalom into our households, into our relationships, into our families, into our lives, into our bodies, into our world, God. Your peace, your well-being, your right, uh, your right way of, uh, of order in your creation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're uh, week two in a series called Raise Them Up. And we've, we've been, uh, we were talking about uh, marriage, tightening the knot. And now we're talking about uh, the, uh, the, usually the outcome of a married relationship is offspring, uh, a family being born, and uh, raising children up. And I mentioned in my prayer, the, the gifts from God, because we live in a fallen world, God's gifts to us are good. He gave us marriage. He gave Adam Eve, we see in Genesis, and he instituted marriage. And he put that process in order, the leave, cleave, become one flesh. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. The two will come together. They'll cleave together. They'll become one flesh. And the natural uh, course of events in, in, a, in a world where things are operating in a healthy manner is, is offspring. We live in a fallen world. We know that people have, they have struggles. They have fertility issues. They have uh, relationship issues. And um, sometimes that is interrupted. But the course that God designed in perfection was from that. And out of that, 
healthy relationship of a man and a woman uh, who were uniquely created, given their identity, their gender. It says male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he made them. There's distinct attributes that a female represents of the nature of God and distinct attributes that a male represents. And together, cohesively, they're to represent to their offspring uh, not perfect, but a full picture of, of who God is so that in a healthy family, it will be easy for a kid to believe and to follow the Lord because he'll see the attributes of the Lord in his early years represented in his mother and father. Does that make sense? You can see that in the book of Genesis, okay? And so if you're not married, if you're not a parent, um, there, we don't want you to feel shame. You're not less than or second class. Um, when we talk about parenting, you're also call, we're also called spiritually to reproduce, to make all, uh, disciples, to have spiritual offspring, to raise them up and disciple them. You know, I, th- I think about this a lot, the differences in male and female. Uh, you know, my wife and I are different in the way that we raise our kids, or if left to our own devices and not working together, uh, our household would look different. My wife was fully in charge of raising the household, the way that she does things. And she says sometimes, like, when I go away, I I don't go away that often, but when I go away, it's, uh, sometimes it feels easier because she can just do things, you know, her way. She just knows she has to deal with it. But when I'm home, like, she has to deal with, I may not do things the way that she wants me to do it, and it's a little bit more stressful. Obviously, that's a short-term relief, and I believe long-term that, you know, she would find it difficult. It would be difficult. It's difficult to raise kids, even when you're on the same page. And, you know, a mother is designed, also, first of all, to carry the child in her womb, right? And um, I was listening to a podcast, and this guy comes from uh, more of an evolutionary uh, perspective, but he said there's an arms race uh, with a, a developing child, uh, which he says it's life at conception. He was saying there's life at conception. He said there's an arms race between the the baby's head size and the mother's hip size, or the size of her pelvis. The, the baby's head is growing quickly because we have brains that develop quickly, and uh, the baby stays in there basically as long as it can till its head's not too big. You know, the optimal head size for being born and the optimal uh, pelvis size for a woman, or if things were out of skew, it would be difficulty or pain. I don't know, I thought that was a funny way to look at it. Uh, but a, a child is born, uh, you know, some animals are born and they can run around on two legs the minute they're born. They can care for themselves. They can find food, more or less. Uh, but a b- child is born needing the care of a mother, and a mother is wired to care for an infant. They're, they're wired to uh, respond to their needs. And when a baby's born, basically, you know, if a baby cries, they're right. Like a baby cries... Whatever they want is pretty well the right thing to give them. You know, they're cold, or they're hungry, or they need a diaper change, or they need love, they need comforted. For the first part of their life, they're right, and a mother is wired to respond and to give that child what they need. Her body literally makes it um, the sustenance they need, and she's wired for that. Uh, And that's good for the development of a child. But at a certain point, that child's wants, everything that that child wants, is not good for their development. When is that? 
I don't know. Eight, I've got some eight. I've had uh, eight-month-old babies that seem like they're. Uh, they. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a developmental psychologist, so uh, you can determine that. But I'd say it's probably before one-year-old. I know two-year-old and three-year-old. There's definitely things that they want that they need to be told no. Um, and it's not easy for a mother to do that. I'm generally speaking, there's differences in personality, but you need a, that, you have to have that relationship. That mother needs to trust that father that when he says no, he's not just being a big jerk. But there's something that God designed to set boundaries and to raise healthy children. Are you following me? And a father's role, a, mother, a mother's role is tremendously important. But a father's role is also very important. And I think, I, I can prove it to you, statistically, in our society, the, the component that is lacking is the role of the father. Would you agree with me? And it's detrimental. The absence of fathers in, in hundreds of ways is detrimental to the development of a child. And there's, it's a predictor of all kinds of negative outcomes, like prison sentencing. Uh, suicide, depression, poverty. It's a predictor of all these negative outcomes. Now that's not a pronouncement. If, you're, if you were raised or you're raising kids as a single mother, that does not mean that's a determined outcome. But there's a pattern. When we break from what God designed, um, the natural consequence is negative. Are you following me? And so fathers, you have an important role in the life of your children, not just go away for the week and make money and provide so that they have food on the table or nice things, but you have a significant role to play in the development of your children. And that relationship, that working it out and being on the same page and having a strategy is vital to the well-being and health of your children. So we've had the marriage series, but it's important that wives, you know, like, you have to give your husband some trust in raising their kids, and especially if they've proven themselves to be more or less uh, responsible and reliable. And um, you know, people can get out of hand and, and out of line. And obviously, you want to protect the safety of your children. But uh, you know, I'll let my kids do things that my wife really kind of second guesses. I'll let them do slightly, mildly dangerous things, perhaps on their bicycles or climbing trees or hiking that my wife won't let them do. And if my wife gets, she blows up, you know, I'll, I'll back off. But it's good for a kid to, to grow and to balance risk. It's, it's really important for us to, uh, to learn those things at a young age. And fathers have a significant role in that. And um, we're going to look at scripture today. Uh, we're going to look at the book of 1 Kings. We're going to look at a couple lines of succession succession in Israel and Judah. There are two kingdoms that existed. When we think of Israel today, uh, in Bible times, there was a southern kingdom. You know, for the, the reign of David, the reign of Solomon, uh, Saul, there was a united kingdom. And then they split. There was the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And they had separate kings. So we're going to look at that. And we're going to see the impact that a father's a father can have on their offspring. But I was thinking about that concept, uh, you know, like marriage. 
can give you the most joy and blessing in life. It can cause you the most pain and frustration and difficulty. Raising children can give you the greatest blessings, the most joy in life, but it can also cause you, uh, it makes you vulnerable to pain. The more that you open yourself up to something to receive joy from it, you also are opening up yourself to receive pain and struggle. And uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing in our world today is a lot of people are deciding the potential pain is not worth, the potential joy is not worth the pain that I anticipate in having children. This, the reproduction rate, I guess, for a population to sustain, a woman has to have, on average, 2.1 children. That's obviously an average. You can't have a tenth of a child. But um, for, that's for population to sustain. And most of the developed world, uh, United States included, falls well underneath that. I think we're at 1.6. Some countries, like Korea, is like 1.1. Uh, that's the average child per woman. Uh, and so population decline is on the horizon, most likely. Uh, a lot of smart people say. Although uh, the, the generation that's childbearing age, a lot of them, if you ask them, one of the reasons for not, if they don't have children is they think the world's going to be overpopulated. And they think that the struggles of our world aren't worth, uh, the difficulties and challenges of our world aren't worth bringing kids in, maybe for the pain that kids would cause, maybe for the pain that would be caused to a parent watching your kid go through that. I think that's probably a consequence of a uh, 24-hour news cycle and, uh, you know, uh, emphasizing negative stories because we have it as good as anybody's ever had it, really. You know, I mean, you your toilet flushes, right? The poorest of us pretty well have flushing toilets um, and climate control in the sense that we make our house warmer in winter and colder in summer. Uh, those are things that kings didn't have just a few generations ago. The richest people in the world didn't have. And so, uh, anyway, we see people choosing not to have kids. And I think it's, I think it's a tragedy. I think it's uh, misinformation. That's a popular word, right? I think it's misinformation. And if you're a believer, I think it's, it's uh, you know, also... You should look at scripture. Obviously, you should look at scripture if you're a believer. But I think um, it's a blessing. Children are an inheritance from the Lord. They're a blessing from the Lord. And anything, I've been on this topic before. If anybody that tells you something's bad that God calls is good, you don't want to listen. That's what we would literally call antichrist. And there's an antichrist move in the world. And so it's worth it. The challenge is worth it. But I know some of you are here and you're struggling. And I'd also say there's a, that dual reality. There's a dual reality in parenthood that we see even in our salvation. I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, in Philippians, Paul tells us that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The writer of Hebrews says that we have to pay much more careful attention to the word, to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. There's, a, there's an intensity of, of uh, working this out and a, an effort that's called, but also there's, we're called to walk in faith, we're called to walk in hope. We're told that there's a Sabbath rest, that there's an abundant life. Jesus who said, take up your cross and follow me, is the same guy who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the, the, the kingdom of God, scripture tells us, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes I'm in this mode where I think, 
If I follow Jesus, it should just be easy, and it should come naturally, and there should be no struggles. Um, and there's an aspect of peace and joy and rest that comes from that relationship with Christ. But there's also the aspect of you have to work it out with fear and trembling. Because uh, um, you guys know the, the term, the path of least resistance? The path of least resistance, like water, for example. We've had some big storms this year, large amounts of water. And water will always choose the path of least resistance. It wants to go where it's forward motion is the easiest, right? And, and I guess what I'm saying is, in raising families, there's a joy and there's a peace and there's uh, a blessing in it, but we have to work it out. We have to put effort into it. Uh, we have to work it out with fear and trembling because our children, without guidance and instruction and structure, will take the path of least resistance. And you, yourself, in parenting, will take the path of least resistance. For example, let's say you've had a stressful day, you've got a lot going on, you're trying to clean up the kitchen, the kids are being noisy, and your, your child comes up and wants to look at your phone, right? They want to they just watch videos on your phone. The path of least resistance is just to put that screen in front of their face, is it not? The path of least resistance is just turn them over, turn it over, put in your code or whatever, let them, my kids try to hold up my phone to my face so it unlocks. My little kids, uh, they, they just, and then they'll quiet down, won't they? But if we just take the path of least resistance without that working it out, the results are not going to be pleasant, right? I mean, maybe they're just going to watch Paw Patrol. But they're going to come across and have access to things that they ought not to see. And so what I'm saying is, just like our salvation, it's, it's something that has beautiful, easy, uh, blessed moments, but it's something that we must be diligent and vigilant, and we must put effort into the way that we care for and parent our children. Or the path of least resistance will creep in, and they'll go the way of the world. Remember Jesus said, narrow is the gate, and the broad is the path, or broad is the, wide is the gate, broad is the path that leads to destruction. That's the path of least resistance. Narrow, yeah, narrows the gate in the way. Yeah, straight as a bow. So the world wants to lead our children on the path of least resistance, and we also internally feel that temptation that we're just going to give in. If you're in Walmart, for some idiotic reason, you walk down the toy aisle, and your kid begs you a hundred times, you know, for whatever widget is that they think they need, that they don't need, that you already have a dozen of at home, or the similar next new thing, and it's, uh, it's hard to say no sometimes. It's not hard to say no the first time, but it's hard to say no the 30th time, and you want to just, some peace, and you want them to shut up, and you take the path of least resistance. <laughs> Uh, well, that really, we are right, Chase, and microphone. Uh, so my encouragement to you today is that what you do matters. It has an impact. It, uh, what we're going to see is it impacts cultures and kingdoms. The way that you raise your kids can impact cultures and kingdoms. 
And I want to encourage you not to choose the path of least resistance or not to default to the path of least resistance, but to be diligent and vigilant in raising your kids for the kingdom. All right. So let's turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 15. So we have the uh, first part of uh, chapter 15. We have a king, Abijah. We have a king. And uh, if you would go back in verse 14, I'll just tell it to you. Um, well, if you look at 1421, since it's on my page, it says Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. Uh, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was king. He was not a good king. He was a wicked king. You can read what he did. Uh, and this is Judah. The southern kingdom. And in verse, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, so that's the king in Israel, in the 18th year of the king of Israel, it gets confusing because that's how they uh, record these things. So there's a king in Israel. He's been there 18 years. In his 18th year, Abijah becomes king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Machah, daughter of Abishalom. In verse 3 it says, He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his forefather had been. So we have Abijah, this king, and he, this is a tragic commentary of his life. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. Uh, most of the uh, instruction that we get in life, they say, is, is caught more than taught. Have you heard that phrase? It's caught more than taught. He observed the character, the behaviors, the idolatry of his father. And whether he was explicitly taught to do those things, whether it was described to him, their, their virtues and their benefits and, and the reasoning behind what he did. We don't know that. I don't know that Rehoboam took Abijah on his knee and said, this is why we are involved in idolatry. This is why we rob from God. This is why we uh, move our people away from serving the one true God. I doubt that he did that. But he probably chose the path of least resistance. Maybe there was a cultural movement. Maybe his own... Uh, the own desires, evil desires of his heart, his own uh, sinful nature desired these things, and he moved himself toward them, and he moved his people toward them, and he moved his children toward them. I believe it probably, likely, was caught as much as it was taught. And there may be things in your life, not that you're explicitly telling your, your children these things are virtuous. These things are beneficial. These things are good. But that by your decision making, you're showing your children that they have value. And you're teaching your kids to move away from the Lord. We see a trajectory happen. David followed, followed the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. We see a drifting uh, in Solomon's life. Some of the things that he brought into his life caused him to drift from where David had been 
We see Rehoboam drifting farther from where Solomon had been, and we see Abijah drifting and continuing the sins of his father. And I would ask you, what's the trajectory of your household? Now, I'm in the midst of raising kids myself, and, and we've made decisions that have caused us busyness. We've made decisions, and, and uh, you know, sometimes, we've, uh, sometimes we carefully make decisions, and sometimes we flippantly make decisions. And those decisions lead to, you know, that course leads to other courses. And you can make decisions that seem harmless that can lead you to a place that is detrimental to the well-being of your children or uh, invades on, um, encroaches on the things that you're trying to teach your children, the values that in your heart you hope to pass on. We can make decisions that, that are at war with the values that we claim to hold. Do you, do you think that's true? Have you experienced that? So we have to be diligent. And then we go on and we look at verse 9. Uh, if, it, if it's not too confusing, I want to come back to, to verse 9. I want to go to chapter 16. So if you have your Bible or your phone, look at 1 Kings 16. Let's go to verse uh, 25. So we have a king, now we're in Israel, which is the northern kingdom. We're seeing this line of secession. Succession Secession is like uh, seceding, like what the South tried to do in the Civil War. Succession is like a line of kings, right? I, gotta, I get mixed up there sometimes. All right. In verse 25, we have Omri as king, and he became king in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah. Omri became king of Israel. And it says, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. The trajectory, the movement of this line is moving of Israel farther and farther and farther from the Lord. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat committing the same sin that Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit, so that they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by the worthless idols. He moved in the direction. He continued the trajectory of the life of his father, and he influenced the culture to do the same. He influenced his realm of influence to move away from the Lord. And I found this interesting. In verse 27, it says, As for the other events of Omri's reign, what he did, and the things he achieved, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Omri, there were events of his reign. There were things that he did and things that he achieved. He achieved things. He had successes. He had accomplishments. And yet, spiritually, he failed. He failed as a follower, and he failed as a father. And that's what the Bible records. You know, some of us think that we have successes, we have accomplishments, you know, we have things that we can hang our hat on, successes in the eyes of the world. We build things, we make things, we accomplish things, we earn things, we accumulate things. But what counts to God is our spiritual success. 
the movement of our lives, the condition of our heart. And what impacts our children more than the money we can accumulate or make, the possessions that we can pass on, the accomplishments that we can earn, what impacts the eternity of our children is the condition of our heart in relation to the Lord our God. What does it profit a man to gain the whole earth, to gain the world, and forfeit his soul? goes on in 29 in the 38th year of Asa king of Judah Ahab you guys know that name Ahab it's from uh, Moby Dick isn't it Captain Ahab uh, before him we have Ahab son of Omri became king of Israel and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years 22 years he was king 22 years he probably did some stuff probably made some stuff Probably built some stuff. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That's his legacy. Ahab, he got married. says, uh, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Ahab, if you remember, the, you can read the stories of Elijah, the prophets of Baal. That's, what, that's this king, Ahab. And so we see a trajectory in the lineage of this family, and each one goes farther than the one before him and veering from the Lord, moving away from following God wholeheartedly. And it doesn't matter what they accomplished. It doesn't matter what they built. It doesn't matter what they established. It doesn't matter how long they reigned. What matters about them, what we remember, and what the only significant thing about them in eternity is how their heart was in relation to the Lord and the impact they had on their offspring. Now you might think, I'm not building altars, I'm not sacrificing to alt idols, I'm not establishing false religions or promoting them, but we have to be diligent and careful that we're not establishing in our own small way idols in our household, that we're not flowing with the culture, taking the path of least resistance, allowing things to creep into our life, allowing ideas, ideologies, to uh, motivate and move us, allowing our children to see and believe and accept things that are contrary to God's word. We have to be diligent. If we go back to 15, I, I didn't want to end with uh, all uh, depression and doom and gloom because we have some, some positive developments here. So we had Rehoboam and we had Abijah, and now we have Asa. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Makkah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. 
He even deposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen mother because she made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. And so we end on a, our message here on a positive note. We have uh, Rehoboam and Abijah moving away from the Lord. And we have God intervening and intercepting a family member, Asa. And Asa puts in the hard work. He goes against the path of least resistance, right? He goes against the grain. He goes against the flow of culture. He goes against the movement of the generations before him and the nation that he had taken over. He puts in the hard work, the, the demolition, to tear down the things that ought to be torn down and to establish rightly the things that ought to be established. He moves the gold into the temple that they had dedicated. He fulfills his promises and vows to the Lord, and he establishes righteousness where there had been unrighteousness. This was the work of the Lord. And so you might say, you, there may be a couple, uh, you're sitting there in that chair individually, and you might think, I failed. I failed my children and they've left the home. But God intervened Asa in Asa's life. You might think it's too late. You might think I've got too much to overcome. There's too much baggage from my family. There's too much trauma from my past. And it's inter inter infecting and interfering with the things that I really want to do. And, and you set, let a, a hopelessness set in. And you surrender to the path of least resistance. And I want to encourage you to take heart. To take up your cross. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To man up and to, to take on the yoke of Jesus. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but it's still a yoke and there's still plowing to do. There's still movement to be made. But the Lord will help you. He'll be with you. He won't fail you. So you may be looking at your family situation and there's probably a dozen things that you don't like about the way that your household is run. And when you look at it and you think about making a change, you're just tired and you're wore out and you're wore down and you don't see that it's going to make a difference and you give in before you even begin and you let the path of, resist, least, of least resistance, it's like a mudslide, it just carries you down to the bottom. So I want you to be encouraged today to fix your eyes on Jesus. I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He took up the cross. He had joy set before him. And I want you to have a vision of what your, cho what your children can be, what your family can be, what your offspring can be, what the future generations can be. If you'll settle into the hard work of establishing a household, that serves the Lord. I hope you're encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to take heart. Jesus literally said, take heart. In this world you'll have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Christ has overcome. 
And with Christ in you, you can overcome. You might not have children. You might not have a spouse. But God has a, uh, a role for you to play. He has good works, Ephesians 2.10 tells us. He has good works that he's prepared in advance for you to walk in. And I would love for you to walk out of here today with wind at your back, steel in your spine, motivation, a burning in your heart to set to work, destroying the things that need to be destroyed, establishing the things that need to be established, carrying the cross, walking out the things that need to be walked out. And there's joy in the journey, my friends. There's joy in that journey because there's meaning. There's purpose. You're living out what God has called you to do. And you'll face uh, many struggles. There'll be trials that you'll walk through. There'll be difficulties. But there's a joy set before you that will give you the strength, just like it gave Jesus, to take up the cross and scorn its shame, to walk what God's called you to walk out. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm just kind of on this, it seems to be what, you know, this is a message about families and raising kids. But this idea, Scripture tells us, to fix our eyes on Jesus. We turn our face. We look to Him for hope in our situation. We look for Him for strength to carry out what He's called us to do. We look to Him for our salvation. It's this idea, if we turn our face to Jesus, the Scripture also gives us this blessing. And we're going to sing the blessing, right? You have where uh, we're to bless one another by saying and calling on the Lord to turn his face to us and to one another, that his face would shine upon us, that he'd be gracious to us. And so we're going to have a time of communion. And as they play this song, I want us in a meaningful way in our hearts with sincerity tell the Lord that we're turning our face towards Him. We're looking for Him for help in our situation. We're asking Him to shine His face upon us. And at the same time, we're blessing those around us. So as we sing this song, we're asking this for ourselves. But we're, we're praying this and we're declaring this to the people around us. I don't know every single situation of every person in here. Somebody knows what you're going through. Lord, especially knows what you're going through. So let's declare this song over our children, our grandchildren, our yet-to-be-born children, our yet-to-be-found spouses, to one another, for generations to come. So I want to sing this song and, and do this in our hearts. And then uh, as we're singing, you're welcome to take communion. Remember what Christ has done.
eyes on you. For the sake of my children, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of the people that you've given me influence that are around me, I want to fix my eyes on you, Lord. I ask you to strengthen me that I can strengthen others. I want to give encouragement as I receive it from you. I want to give help as I receive it from you, God. I want to give encouragement. I want to put courage in the people that I ask you to put courage in the people. Put courage into us, God. To go against the flow. To go against the grain. To reject the path of least resistance. To shoulder the responsibility that you've given us. And to march, to the, to march up to what you've called us to.